Mike Young and Virginia Tech took down their fourth-ranked opponent of the season, and this time it was rival UVA. Those two teams sit atop the ACC standings. Can they stay there? All that and more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 39 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and here with me as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you? Good afternoon, Mike. I'm well. Hope you're doing the same. I am, and, and you and I, I think, both got out of Dodge, both got out of Blacksburg in wow. time to, yeah. to beat the storm. Uh so first, tell me, uh, what was, did you get to enjoy a snow day with, with Tiny Teal? And what, what, was, uh, what was your wintry mix there like? Yeah, we didn't have a lot here in, in the 757, but we, we got out and played a little bit after some virtual learning and uh, built some mini snow people and put put a mask and sunglasses on one and had a, had a little fun, made a couple snow angels. So I, I'm glad you said that because I have to ask, and it could just be that I'm in terrible physical condition, but I don't remember that building snowmen was as difficult physically as it was this past couple of days. Uh, I remember making these giant snowmen that were the same height as me when I was, you know, 12 years old, 14 years old. And I mean, my wife and I were, were working on the snowman to help the kids. And it was like, okay, what is he? Two feet tall. That's great. Let's put a hat on him and call it a day. Mm-hmm. I, I found it to be grueling physical labor. Yes. It's like shoveling my friend. <laughs> maybe it was the the demeanor around it maybe it's just more fun when you're or maybe you just don't remember it right as a kid but man that was more work than i expected but we got a good amount we got six to eight inches here uh where i live in charlottesville and uh the baby got his first real uh, taste of sledding uh the first day we had him in kind of one of those radio flyers sat him in it and pulled him around uh a flat part of the yard and the second day we held him in our lap and we took him down a big hill and he he uh he enjoyed it we got to the end we'd crash into a snowbank he would kind of look around confused and then say again again so i i think we have a a snow uh, a snow fan here very good very good little um Tiny Teal likes her likes her snow, and uh, she even made some snow cream when we came inside. Oh, delicious! See, that would have been better because Evan was just eating the snow off the ground. <laughs> uh, I mean, as he does with everything he, he finds on the ground at this age. But uh, snow cream sounds a lot more delicious. It was. It was quite good. Now. We bring up the snow because you and I both were kind of anxious to uh, get out of Blacksburg uh, (laughs) ahead of the storm. We were both anxious to get to Blacksburg for that game. Um, I think UVA, Virginia Tech, it's always something a little special on the calendar, obviously. But David, these are two good teams. And I think you and I both uh, were really looking forward, right, to to covering that one? Absolutely. I mean, two, two ranked teams. And state rivals, ACC, national implications, absolutely. You, ju- you just wish, as in many cases in this COVID sports season, that the arena could have been jumping. Oh, man. And the way the game played out, David. Oh, my gosh. That place <laughs> would have been losing its mind because UVA came out and, and I thought took control of the game and it, it, it just kind of looked like 
it wasn't going to be much of a, a contest, right? UVA was just going to be the better team for 40 minutes and we were going to write our stories and go home. And David, Virginia Tech, I mean, that is that was as dramatic a turnaround. Um, they just got aggressive. They got physical. They stormed back at one point in the second half. They were on a 19-0 run. Mm-hmm. Think about that against a defense as revered as Virginia, 19 straight. Kevi Aluma, obviously a big part of that. What did you uh, What did you see in, in terms of just how they got back into this one? Mike, as good as they were offensively in that 19-0 run, they were better on the other side. Oh, yeah. Ten consecutive possessions. UVA did not score. And in some years, eh, it's not that unusual. But this is a really good Virginia offense. I mean, Virginia came in leading the ACC in offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. And the Hokies exposed them on both ends during that run. I mean, Wabisa Beatty was just masterful on the defensive end with his ball defense on Kihei Clark, his help defense as the Hokies went went about checking Sam Hauser and Jay Huff. And finally, Kave Aluma got some help on the offensive end from Hunter Couture. And having a couple scores turned it around. Yeah, David, you wrote about Wabisa Beatty, and I'm glad you did, and I'm glad you brought it up here because I think he's easy to overlook sometimes, right? He doesn't have flashy stats. He's not a, a big scorer. Um, his on-ball defense is just phenomenal and has been for years, but I think you're right that where he's really improved and elevated this team is all the ways they're able to use him and help, and it struck me when I saw him kind of being the guy to double down with Jay Huff because it wasn't just about trying to slap the ball away, right? You send a little guard down there, try to slap the ball away. There were times that Wabisa Beatty was putting his body into <laughs> Jay Huff and Wabisa Beatty is a strong, he's not the biggest guy, but he is a strong guy. Yeah. He, he not scared now. <laughs> he, no. he, he, he will get up in you. And that's the way Mike Young wants his club to play. And I think BD embodies that. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, one of the stories that ended up kind of resting in my notebook forever because it didn't get written during during last year with the uh, pandemic cutting the season short was a story where Wabisa Beatty had told me that he liked, um, especially in high school, a little bit when he got to college, but it was a little too risky to play pickup basketball with football players because <laughs> they knocked him around and it was physical, yeah. right? They didn't have the skill of an ACC basketball recruit, but they had athleticism. They had size. They had physicality. He liked to play those pickup games because he thought it it helped toughen him up. Now, this is a tough kid, right? Yeah. Uh, Massachusetts kid, you know, uh, interesting upbringing, a, a real hardworking mom. So this is a gritty blue collar kind of kid to begin with. But he told me he kind of sought out those pickup games that maybe weren't the highest level of basketball because it added something to his game. And I think he shows that uh, when he plays defense for the Hokies. I think you could put shoulder pads on him and send him out oh, on, yeah. the, on the football field and he would not blink. He's, he's a fullback mentality, right? Fullback yeah. or a linebacker? Yeah, he's Sam Rogers on the basketball court. 
And that is a, quite a compliment because we remember <laughs> all the impact that Sam had for the Tech football team. Now, another good moment, and, and you know, I don't, I don't know it. And Mike Young keeps telling me every time I ask that he doesn't really believe <laughs> Jalen Cohn's in a shooting slump. And uh, I trust Mike Young. He knows basketball more than I do. But I can look at the numbers and tell you yeah. Jalen Cohn has had trouble putting the ball in the hoop. He hit a couple big threes that really started to turn the tide in that second half. And uh, David, even if he's not going to be burying six or seven, um, getting that from Jalen Cohn, I thought that loosened up Virginia's defense a little bit. Yes, it did. No question. And he, along with with Hunter Couture, really made it possible for Aluma to continue his work. I mean, he ends up with a career-high 29, adds 10 boards, just as just as dominant a performance as you would want from a big. And Virginia ran five different guys <laughs> at Keve Aluma. I mean, they went big against him. They went small. I mean, they, they, they doubled the post. They tried to do it with one guy. None of it worked. Yeah, it was really remarkable. And, and the, the play that stood out in my mind from that game, not that it was necessarily consequential to the to the run or the outcome, but there was a moment where Aluma got the ball in the low block. He was working against Jay Huff. Sam Hauser came down to double him. They essentially had him in the post trap. Aluma spun inside, got a shot up, missed it. It came off the rim. The defense works, right? Then he got his own rebound, stuck it back, and drew a foul. Um it, it's that level or combination of skill and tenacity. Um, he's really been a revelation for this team. He most certainly has. And you know, what, what did Jeff Capel say on, on the ACC Zoom yesterday? He goes, now, that guy was at Wofford. <laughs> now, that it wasn't this Keve Aluma that was playing for Wofford two years ago. I think Mike Young and his staff all would tell you how much he's improved. But, wow, I mean, imagine this Keve Aluma in the Southern mm-hmm. Conference right now. And Hunter Couture, who was headed there with, uh, that would have been quite the team had uh, Mike Young not been hired away by Virginia Tech. And the other great thing, if you're a a Hokies fan out of this, is – Hey, this is two and zero since losing Tyrese Radford, and you know Mike Young has said, you know, there's a path open for Tyrese to come back. Unclear if that would be this year. More likely, it seems like a path to rejoin the program for next season. Number two scorer, number two rebounder, and Tex won two straight games. Uh, here's Mike Young talking about that. Uh, and just a you know a good group, um, a conscientious group that um, you know that. Uh, you know, does it the right way. It's a real team. I mean, it's a real team. They don't care who gets the credit, just, you know, another hokey win. And we've managed to, um, you know, do that uh, pretty consistently. I did not think we were very good against Wake Forest. We were bad against Syracuse. We were not very good offensively against Notre Dame, but we were really, really good defensively. And, you know, our, you know, the mantra around here is your defense travels. We should be really good in that uh, regard, uh, night in, night out, uh, and, and and we carried that into uh, the Castle Saturday against uh, Virginia, and we were, and we were, we were awfully, awfully good uh, defensively and responsible. Um, so I think, you know, as, as much as anything to answer your question, I think um, our defense night in, night out, we, uh, we can count on that, and that'll keep, you in, uh, that'll keep you in games, help you score enough to win. So, David, is this team a title contender, even if Radford doesn't come back? 
Mike, I still don't think so. I mean, last week we talked about could the Hokies be in the top third of the league if it went the rest of the season without Tyrese Radford. And I think our consensus was a big fat maybe. <laughs> and, and, and that would be top five. Winning the league during the regular season, I still have my doubts. I would favor Virginia and Florida State right now. I, I think they're still the two best teams. But you know, I just want to see more of the Hokies without Tyrese Radford to yeah. see just how sustainable this is. That, that's the question. Right. The, yeah. the team that beat Virginia Saturday night can win an ACC title, you know, playing that way, playing with that intensity, playing with that energy. Um, absolutely. But can you sustain that down such a key piece? Mm-hmm. Right. And Virginia is not a I mean, Virginia doesn't uh, you know, not that this is a bad thing, but they don't really focus on rebounding, right? They like to get back on defense, so they're not necessarily crashing the offensive glass uh, the way some teams do. It's So the fact that Tech was able to hold up on that end, um, we have to see them against a Carolina, against mm-hmm. a Florida State, somebody that really pounds the boards. And is it um, just unwinnable because of Radford's absence? But the way Aluma played, with Couture, with Cone coming back to life, um, you certainly got a sense that, hey, okay, maybe maybe this isn't the end of things that that maybe it could have been. I think we, we felt like they would still be good. I don't know. I thought Saturday night gave me a glimpse that, hey, maybe they can still be great. It's just guys are going to be playing more minutes. We talked about that when Cartier Giara, uh, right, opted out. Now, Wabisa Beattie was going to be back to play in the massive minutes. Well, Radford's gone, so those minutes have to be absorbed. And now they've got some young guys who will play some minutes, but um, it, it's still going to be felt throughout the roster. Yes, it will. But in in this season, Mike, massive minutes aren't the issue that they yeah. might have been during a full year because no one's even going to come close to playing you know, by the end of the NCAA tournament, 30-plus games, you wouldn't think. There's just so many games being postponed, and there, there's simply not enough time to make them up. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the calendar, it's just not realistic, and, and certainly um, that kind of segues nice into the fact that we do believe still, at least I do, I don't know if you've heard differently, that they're planning to get this second Tech UVA game. Mike Young had, had said late February, there's a few slots maybe where it could slide in. David, do we do we still think we'll see these two again in the regular season? I'm not as optimistic as I was, Mike, because I, I, I thought they had – a real opportunity, what was it, last week or the week before last. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, they couldn't figure it out. So I just wonder when push comes to shove, if one or both of the programs will agree to play one another on what most assuredly will be a week with three games. And will they just say, mm, we don't need that hassle right now? I don't know. Um, I wish I was more optimistic because selfishly, and I know <laughs> you feel the same way, we, we want to see him again at JPJ. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see them in Charlottesville. I'd love to see them hooked up in the ACC tournament. I, I, I just the fact that they're both good, it's just so much fun. And 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 I do think that UVA is still really good <laughs> despite losing that game. Um, but there were some interesting things that came out of it, David, and and a lot of the <laughs> maybe harshest criticism of their play Saturday came from Tony Bennett, who, who's not really known for taking his team to task, at least not publicly, right? He, he's more of a, he'll get to them in the gym, but but he generally p- paints a pretty uh, calm picture for us. He called them finesse. Uh, and then he laughed because he said he didn't know if that's a word, but uh, <laughs> what he's saying there, David, finesse. <laughs> <laughs> but if he's saying finesse, that's saying soft. That's a nicer way to say they played soft. Uh, he said Tech wanted it more. You could tell they wanted it. Uh, we didn't have an answer. That that to me is a bit alarming. Uh, here's what Tony Bennett said about the sort of mental makeup of his team. Yeah, well, I think our guys have to understand, you know, whether they know it or not, their game gets circled a lot, you know, and especially, you know, we were in a good spot and you know, still are, but people <coughs> come after them. And in that game, it, it always goes down to when you play any game, who's hungrier, who's, who's going to be tougher. Like you can't, you know, those things matter as the game goes. For a lot of it, we were in a good spot. But, um, yeah, that's a credit to, again, how Virginia Tech, how they're, they're playing, how they're wired this, this year. You can see it. For us, um, we've been good. You know, I think Kihei brings some fight. Sam will play hard. Those guys have the experience. You know, Kihei's always been that way. We're not the most vocal um, vocal group, and we've known that from the start, and we're probably uh, times more – um, I guess skill oriented. So, so how do we bring as much intensity and energy when we need that? And that stuff shows up. And at times it's been really good. And at times, you know, I think we got, sometimes it's just the other team plays better than you. David, how big a concern was it that tech came out aggressive in that second half and UVA had no answer? I don't know how big a concern it is, Mike. I mean, it was essentially eight to 10 minutes. Of, of that game where it got sideways for the Cavaliers because for the first, you know, 27 to 30, you know, they were, they were pretty good. You know, it was a four or five point game there midway through the second half before the, the, the wheels fell off. The one area where I would be concerned was just the inability to handle Keve Aluma for the entirety of the 40, especially Jay Huff. And he, to me, was the finesse that Tony Bennett was talking about. I thought he looked soft. There are times during his career when he has been anything but. But there are other times when you think, yeah, he just needs more of an edge about him. And Saturday night was one of those times. Yeah, you know, I'm working on a story, and I was thinking back to Darian Atkins and Akil Mitchell, um, great, great defensive players, but a little nastiness, mm-hmm. right? Some toughness, that edge. I don't know that UVA has that guy. Like Jay Huff is a phenomenal athlete. He's got so many skills, so many things he can do. He can be a dominant rim protector with his shot blocking. He's really come a long way in terms of knowing the defense, knowing when to help, knowing where to be. But, I mean, we've all talked to Jay, and it's a reason that we like him so much. He's a really nice guy. I don't know if he's got the mean streak. I don't know if anyone else on this team does. And I think that Tony Bennett, the pack line, the way they play, 
I think they need a little bit of nasty in the paint to make it really work at a high level. And Diakite was was yeah. was that last season. But you're right. They they do not have that guy this season. Now, does that mean that someone can't emerge? No, but better hurry up. Yeah. You know, I, I think that they've already shown that they can win um, with this configuration and they can be good defensively with this configuration. But I think Virginia Tech showed they can be attacked. And and mm-hmm. I'm not taking away from what Tech did X's and O's wise because they, they did a lot of smart things. But, you know, the takeaway for me was an aggressive, physical Virginia Tech could kind of take it to UVA for that stretch with little to no response. And um, if there is an ACC tournament, that's the kind of basketball we see in the ACC tournament, right? It doesn't matter what you look like all year. Um, Teams get an edge when they get to the ACC tournament. Teams have that edge a lot of times in the NCAA tournament. You'll play teams that are physical. And um, I think if you're UVA, uh, emotionally and mentally, you need to put on film, put out an effort where you show people that you have that toughness uh, or it becomes kind of a lingering doubt. That's why it's going to be fascinating to watch UVA as well against North Carolina and Florida State. Yeah, for, for a lot of reasons, those are the opponents that might be the most telling for us uh, this year. And uh, But UVA does have a, a game this week. What do you want to see in, in this one? What, what, do, what is the the bounce back, what is the area that you're looking uh, most closely at against NC State on Wednesday night? Well, NC State is down at least its leading score, and that would be Devin Daniels, who from all accounts, and I don't know the young man, but you, you read Raleigh Media, he just seems to be such such a respected presence in that program, and for him to blow out his ACL last week against Wake Forest. I mean, what a crushing blow that is. And then the Wolfpack was without DJ Funderburk up at Syracuse the other night, but yet played very, very well in a, in a two-point loss. But even without those two guys, and we don't know about Funderburk and his availability tomorrow night, NC State is aggressive. I mean, they're full-court aggressive. Mm-hmm. And you talk about rim protectors, the best one in the conference is Manny Bates. And not not only that, Bates, I believe he was around 16, 17 points the other night against Syracuse. When he's that assertive on the offensive end, he's a real challenge. So we're going to learn a little bit more about that finesse UVA club and see if they can get that turned around because NC State, shorthanded or otherwise, will challenge the Cavaliers physically. Yeah, and, and maybe a good thing, right? Because now the the book's out or the secret's out, the question's out there. Uh, let's get an answer sooner rather than later. Um, and I think you're right. I think this matchup, particularly in the front court, um, when they're in the half court set, I think we will see uh, whether or not UVA can kind of regain, regain that edge, find that toughness. Uh, you know, Tony Bennett talked about, hey, Kihei Clark's a guy with a lot of fight. Uh, and that's true, but he's, you know, he's a little guard. <laughs> he plays on the ball. He does a lot of great things, although he certainly didn't have a, a great game last time out. Uh, but in terms of that low post guy, Sam Hauser, he's got that competitiveness, but Tony ad- admitted it's not a very vocal team. Um, yeah. it, it, you don't have to be, right? You don't have to be that way. Um, 
but you need something. And, and I think right now what we saw, um, to the untrained eye, if you will, this team is missing a little something. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And the, the one I would think would provide that something would be Kihei Clark. And I, I know it's kind of counterintuitive that the little guy would be that one. But I think he's got that edge about him. And it was fascinating to me to, to, to research after, after the Tech game because I was just so struck by the fact that Clark did not have an assist. I'm like, <laughs> when's the last time that happened? Well, the answer is never in a game in which he played at least 20 minutes. Uh, two other times he did not have an assist, but he was below 20 minutes. And this is a guy who's played upwards of 80 games in a UVA uniform. In 77 of those, he's played, or 75, excuse me, he's played at least 20 minutes, and that was the first one with no assists. Yeah, I mean, he is, um, however you feel about Kihei Clark's game, he's what makes the offense go. And um, this is an offense that had been really quite proud of its ability to, to share the basketball, to make the extra pass. Uh, it, it wasn't all that long ago, right? <laughs> Syracuse, what was it, 23 assists on 29 field goals? Yeah. Um, something like that. I think it was 23 on, on 29 made field goals. And, and all we were talking about was, hey, how well they're sharing the ball, how they'll make that extra pass. And uh, again, I, I think it goes back to what you said when we were talking about Virginia Tech. Uh, that has a lot to do with how well Mike Young's team defended, how well Wabisa Beatty uh, defended Kihei Clark. Um, you know, I think that is maybe even a bigger takeaway was, hey, Virginia Tech's defense was able to take them out of that. Well, what did what did Tony say after the game and in, in the clip? Sometimes the other team plays better. <laughs> and that definitely was the case. And all that talk about uh, the rivalry game that we enjoyed, that brings us to this week's Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. We've seen a round now of uh, Virginia versus Virginia Tech. By season's end, which team will have had the better season, the Hokies or the Who's? Who you got? Let's start with David. I'm still going to say UVA. Uh, I, I think the Cavaliers, just in terms of depth of talent, options, uh, a little more well-rounded on, on the offensive end, yeah, I, I, I still think they are, along with Florida State, the class of the ACC. I think the Hokies, especially without Tyrese Radford, are a tick below. Okay, thanks, Mike. I'm going to cheat, and, and I'm the one who wrote the question, and I didn't do it very precisely. Uh, and because of that, I will now exploit my error. Um, when you say better season— yeah, I think UVA is going to win more games. I think they're going to advance further. That's really the definition, right, of better season. But in terms of outperforming or how you match up with expectations, I think Virginia Tech is going to be the team at the end of the year that you feel really um, better about how they perform versus what you expected. You know, UVA, I think we expected them to be great. I think they're really good. I don't know if they're going to get all the way to great. Uh, the Hokies, we expected them to be meh. Kind of rebuilding better, certainly deeper, um, but I don't think we expected them to be in the top third of the league. I think they're going to hold on and end up there. So in the end, I can make an argument that uh, from uh, uh, how you performed against expectations, I think Tech may have the better season. That's why Mike Young is uh, is the leader in the clubhouse for ACC Coach of the Year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the job he's done has, has been 
outstanding before the Radford mess. Uh, if he's able to keep it going uh, without Radford, I think uh, I think the whole nation will probably uh, stand up if they haven't already uh, and take notice of, of what he's been able to do. Now, David, we're still waiting, like we said, on official word about will they replay that first UVA VT game, the, the one that's supposed to be in Charlottesville. Uh, Mike Young has said he expects it to be played later this month, uh, but didn't share a concrete date, so don't know where that stands. Tuesday night, we thought we were going to see Boston College play Florida State, and the Eagles were just going to have four scholarship players. I know you were well on your way to writing a piece about that. Uh, so I'm curious still, to get your ta- yeah. I'm curious to get your take of what you thought of that. But that got scrapped. Uh, FSU had to cancel its next three. Um, th- this schedule is still very much in flux. Now after tonight, we're recording this. On Tuesday, uh, Groundhog Day, in case you want to just play it over and over and over and over. Uh, But after tonight, every ACC team will have played that NCAA minimum, 13 games, to qualify for the NCAA tournament. So I'm wondering, David, are are things going better or worse than you thought they would for the 2021 basketball season? Actually, Mike, I split it down the middle. I say about as I expected because I just anticipated – that much like football, that the deeper we got into the regular season, the more challenging it was going to be. If you'll remember back in football, the ACC had a perfect October, did not have a single game postponed or canceled. And then November hit and the residual from Halloween parties and COVID spikes and Thanksgiving, and it just got sideways. And sure enough, now post-holidays and students returning to campus, it's becoming more and more difficult. I mean, this is Florida State's second pause. Uh, here in, you know, cl- closer to home, the University of Richmond just went on its third mm. pause. I mean, it's, it's hard. And, you know, the medical experts told us that it was going to get worse dur- during the winter. And right now it has now nationally infection rates are starting the last week or so to trend in in the right direction, especially as we get more and more folks vaccinated. Maybe that will will help things moving forward as we, you know, near the finish line. But uh, right now, it's it's tough sledding. The thing that experts told us going into football, um, going into the idea of could you play college sports, that I thought was the most understated and yet turned out to be the most true (laughs) kind of comment on all of this was, hey, college sports and college athletes, it wasn't going to be much different than what the country was going through. So when the country is struggling with rates, that was going to be the same for for college sports. And yeah, they're taking more steps and they're testing and they're they're sure to be careful, but um, it was going to be reflective basically of what's going on in the nation. And uh, from December to the start of February, things were not going well in this country in terms of COVID rates. And, you know, UVA, which had such great success, I think still is having great success controlling and and managing um, their latest test numbers. They sent us today, 3,923 tests they administered. Uh, This is going back December 14th 
to January 31st. 3,923 tests, 31 came back positive. That's a 0.8%. Higher than maybe they've been having at times, not terrible. I think this is just, hey, sports is going to be what America is right now. It is. And what else did the experts tell us, Mike? Contact tracing. Mm -hmm. And that's what will shut you down. I I talked to CAA Commissioner Joe D'Antonio this morning, and he said what his league has found, and as we saw with the announcement today of William and Mary's next two weekends of games being shelved because of a COVID infection, but because of contact tracing and practice and such, the entire team is shut down for two weeks. It's it's just, it's hard to avoid if you're doing it right. If you're following the guidelines and you're going to get close to the guys on your team, Uh, you're going to get close to the teams you play against. And uh, based on how they do contact tracing, yeah, it's, and it's why Boston College was getting ready to play a game uh, tonight Mm -hmm. with four scholarship players. David, they were four of the better ones, but four scholarship players yep. to try to compete in an ACC game. Like I said, I know you were already working on something before that game got scrapped. Tell me, what's your just take on the fact that that was, you know, a day away from happening? Mike, what my primary takeaway was, was the disconnect between Jim Christian, the Boston College coach, and his administration. Because the ACC has been very consistent all along with sports in a pandemic. The ACC doesn't decide whether a game is going to be played. And there's no third-party arbiter. If one of the teams is uncomfortable for whatever reason from a medical standpoint, there is no game. Boston College's administration was comfortable playing with four scholarship players and five walk-ons who comprise what Jim Christian calls his scout team. But Jim Christian was clearly not comfortable with it. I mean, he he said to you yesterday on, on the Zoom, and you just asked a very kind of benign question, give us an update, and he, and he basically bared his soul and said, the de- you know, they made the decision. They know how I feel about it. Like, whoa. So he was not happy. And, you know, he's a seventh-year coach who's clearly coaching for his job. He's working for a first-year athletic director in Patrick Kraft. You can't view this without acknowledging that dynamic. And th- that was my, you know, if, if Jim Christian was okay playing – I've got no problem. But when he said, I'm interpreting here, I'm uncomfortable with this. If I'm his AD, then I defer to him. Yeah, that to me was alarming. Um, And again, I I like Jim Christian a lot. I think he's a good basketball coach. And uh, I certainly, even more so after this, wonder, uh, you know, what the plan is going forward at Boston College for, for next season. But to me, this is the easiest scenario ever for an AD to have his coaches back, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the league is going to back you up. The protocols are in place. The other team isn't going to say anything. No, Nobody, for the most part, has said boo about a team saying we can't go. And if you come out and say we only had four scholarship players, nobody is going to criticize you for not playing. So the fact that this is a case where – 
the AD didn't back up the coach. Now, can you safely play a game playing those walk-ons? Yeah, I'm sure you can. Is it going to be very competitive? I'm sure it's not. How competitive was Boston College going to be with Florida State anyway? That's fair, but I don't think that should be the stance of your AD. <laughs> um, it, it just it was surprising that in a situation where there would be almost no blowback for backing up your coach and saying, yeah, add us to the list of teams that can't play tonight, that that didn't happen. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, the, the the fact that then, what, at 1030 last night is when we get the email about Florida State's pause. I mean, Florida State's already in Boston. They flew up there Sunday after having played in Atlanta on, on Saturday. And you know, I don't even know if they're able to get out of there because of all the snow in, in, in the Northeast. And now that they have a positive test, who can fly home? How does all how does all that work? But it, no, it was it was very interesting to, to to listen to Coach Christian, and he was right. You know, he said other conferences have roster minimums. The Big Twelve does. The Pac twelve does. I check with the A ten. The A-10 does not. I check with the CAA. CAA does not. So among the conferences that we're familiar with, you know, there's, there, there's kind of a split there. But the ACC as well, you know, during football, it was we suggest you have seven scholarship offensive linemen. If you don't and you still want to play, have at it. But otherwise, you know, again, we defer to you and your medical people. And that's how they're handling basketball. I did very cursory research on this, and I'd be curious to go deeper, but I don't. I was not able to find anybody at the Power 5 level who's played a game with only four or fewer scholarship players. Um, teams that have gotten to that limit have been either on a pause already or opted out of that game. Um, yeah. To me, there's no reason to play a game what figures to be not very competitive, but uh, either way, it didn't come to pass. Uh but it is a topic, and it's interesting because I think you and I were both, even though however we feel about them playing, <laughs> uh, we were both intrigued, right, to see these yeah. walk-ons get their shot uh, against a ranked opponent, against a, a big-time foe in, in an ACC game. That could have been a lot of fun. It it, it could have been. Uh, and I was trying to put myself, Mike, in the walk-on shoes. You know, hey, we're, we're going to get some run here tonight against Florida State. Now, maybe that fun only lasted for five minutes, and then they're like, oh, boy, <laughs> what what have we gotten ourselves into? But, you know, I think as an athlete, you would have relished the opportunity, if perhaps only briefly. Yeah, I mean, Andrew Kenny, who was a, a good – Jim Christian was telling us, a good basketball player, yeah. just maybe not an ACC, could have been a star at a lower level possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, he was going to be the starter, the fifth starter. Uh, you know, it, it reminds me of when uh, Johnny Carpenter at UVA got his chance to fill in and coach uh, when UVA had those coaches out. And he, he was so excited and, and, and very prepared. You know, certainly had been um, a, a spot, a shot he earned. Um, but he also said, hey, there was some pressure and some nerves of like, hey, I don't want to be filling in and then have us lose this game. Uh, so I think you're right. I think it would have been a great memory going forward. I think it would have been cool. But I think there would have been a, a welcome to reality moment where they're like, hey, this game counts and, and we've got to get going. Uh, it's interesting. You know, we talk about fun. And, and I asked North Carolina State Kevin Keats about coaching this year, coaching in the pandemic, and um, you know, is it fun? And uh, he indicated that 
that people, fans, media, people outside the programs, they might not fully grasp and appreciate what this has all been like for the players. Here's what Kevin had to say. It's tough being, and I know people like, man, tough being a kid. It's tough being a kid or an athlete right now. And people don't see that because when you flip on the TV, you just see the finished product. You see those guys who are out there playing and they look like they're having fun. Um, TV can trick you the way things look but you don't know what their families are going through. Um, you don't know what their situation is, is back home. So David, what do you think? We're fairly close to all this. We, we see the players, at least on zoom, we go to some of the games. Uh, does the average fan recognize how abnormal and how difficult this season has been or, or do they just see it as kind of the oddity of empty seats? I think they do Mike, if they think about it, but it's been so long now. And we've been through an entire football season. We've been through an NBA playoff season, the baseball playoffs. We're so accustomed now, sadly, to sports during a pandemic that we kind of take them all for granted and don't really understand the rigors or or we conveniently forget. It's not like we stopped understanding, but the rigors of, of the protocol that all these athletes and coaches and staff are going through. And I don't know, but I've, I find basketball to be more peculiar in person than football. Was. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's indoors. The, the, the piped in crowd noise is, is strange. I, I, to, to me, it was, it was easier to, Maybe imagine football is just what I was seeing on the field. But with basketball, the atmosphere is such a big part of it. And dang, I miss it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and I'm curious then. So I've asked a number of the coaches in the ACC and Jeff Capel, I remember particularly his response. But is it fun to coach this season? Because these guys love what they do, right? I mean, yeah, they get paid a ton of money. Yeah, they're at the top of their profession. These guys love what they do. That's why they're in it. That's why they're in it at this level. Um, Jeff Capel basically said, no, it's not any fun to coach this year. There's too much stress. There's too much uncertainty. uh, There's too much beyond the job. Uh, Capel and Brad Brownell this week reminded me or or talked to me about um, just the amount of coaching they do. That isn't X's and O's and isn't game prep. It's how are you doing? It's the mood of your team. It's the um, one-on-one meetings to make sure they're, these kids, that their minds are right. And um, not that they don't want to do that or not that that's not important, but it takes away from X's and O's. It takes away from preparing for a game. It's one of the reasons, and I just wrote about this, that it's been so hard to achieve consistency this year. Uh, for you, as a sports writer, as a very well-established <laughs> Hall of Fame sports writer. Are you having fun covering the 2021 season? Yes, because it beats the alternative. <laughs> well said. But, but compared to other seasons, absolutely not. Mike, if I never see another Zoom, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll be happy. And, hey, I get what how – Zoom and other ways of, of remote communication are helping us and, and will continue to do so after, after the pandemic abates. But it's, it's just the relentlessness of it 
And the fact that you just don't see anyone that you're writing about in person, or at least you're not within, what, 20 yards of them. Uh, it's, it's just disconcerting and uh, can't wait for this all to be over. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I love the moments when we're doing our job and covering basketball or football, but I'll admit there, there are moments where it actually kind of bums me out or, or, or mm-hmm. makes me sad when I, um, and they're weird moments, right? They're moments that in some ways are good. Like when I pull up to Castle for a Tech UVA game and I can find a parking spot in the front row right in front of the arena. Uh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> it made my commute a lot easier. Yeah. There's a sadness that I'm not um, kind of looking for a spot or working my way through the people who showed up early and are having a rare basketball tailgate. You know, when when there is a run and you think about what an arena would feel like and it's gone, when you watch a game on TV and you just, the empty seats kind of strike you at, at moments, maybe not key moments, right? When the game's exciting and it's down to the wire, you get back into it, you're wrapped up in it, but just regular moments you looked up and it just, it's just not right. And, um, but they're, they're muddling through and, and that kind of brings us to this week's installment of take it or leave it. Thank you, Mike. We are three months and about uh, 15 games into the college basketball season. So here's the question. College basketball will do what college football did last month and make it all the way to the finish line. Uh, Let's start with Mike. You know, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it with a big old asterisk. (laughs) Um, They're not all going to make it, right? (laughs) Um, I I think they're going to find a way to get through. Uh, I'm very curious about what the tournament's going to look like. I'm very curious what's going to happen if a team has to opt out of a game, um, if a team uh, is going to get a free pass, how they're going to do that. I I think... I think we have a lot more challenge ahead of us than maybe some people are realizing, but I'm going to take it because I think the financial importance of having the NCAA tournament, I think they're going to drag themselves to that finish line uh, if it's the last thing they do this season. Okay. Thank you, David. 100% take it for precisely that reason, Mike. $900 million. That is the approximate value of that TV contract. And without it, I mean, the NCAA reported out its financials recently from the 2019-20 fiscal year, and revenue was down more than $600 million because of the loss of the tournament. Obviously, some insurance covered part of that. But a second consecutive year of that would be borderline catastrophic economically for the enterprise. And yes, they are, whether it would be April 3 through 5, like it's supposed to be for the final four, I'm not convinced there. But somehow, some way, somebody's going to be picking confetti out of their hair. Yeah, I think it has to happen. I, I don't know that it'll be perfect. I don't know that this will be the year you point to that, without a doubt, the tournament crowned the most deserving champion. Um, who knows? I mean, imagine if one of our one seeds 
mm-hmm. ends up in the second round not being able to play. And if they're just bounced, if that's the way they set it up, uh, or if there's a little window of, you know, you can come back four days later and play. How do they do that? What kind of flex can they build in? But um, I do think you're right that there's going to be an end and they're going to get there. Um, I just have no idea what that's going to look like. Now, speaking of ends, the, the <laughs> end of a very very impressive, impactful tenure. John Swafford is the ACC commissioner. Uh, he's worked his final day in that role. David, you wrote a bunch about uh, John's his legacy, his accomplishments, uh, some of his takes on things. And I'm curious, what, what stands out to you when you think about John Swafford's time as the ACC commissioner? Well, it's just, it's been a transformative time in college athletics Mike, and certainly for the Atlantic Coast Conference. I mean, when John Swafford became commissioner in 1997, ACC was what in in comparison to it today was a mom and pop shop. You know, nine schools. And you played each other twice every year in basketball and once in football. And it was all very neat and packaged. Well, that's not college athletics anymore, and that's certainly not a, the ACC. And under his the longest tenure of any commissioner in the league's history, Swafford took membership to to fifteen, including you know adding in, including Virginia Tech, and established a network and was a founding father of of the college football playoff. Had some hiccups along the way. The initial expansion that included Virginia Tech did not go according to script, was very messy, very public, so much so that the then Wake Forest president, Dr. Thomas Hearn, wrote a public letter of apology on the Wake Forest website for how the expansion had been handled. And then Maryland exiting for the Big Ten. So there were certainly setbacks, but all in all, just, you know, this is a guy who was, who, who is ACC to the core. It, the conference has been part of his life for more than 50 years, ever since his brother started playing football for Duke in the late 50s. Now, you led one of your stories with a great um anecdote moment from the from the final four uh in 2019 when uva won why don't you go ahead and and share that because i I think it uh one shows maybe the relationship that that you've forged with with john swafford but also a lot about who who john is well it was the night before virginia was playing texas tech in, in in minneapolis and my wife and daughter had come to the final four with me and we were in the lobby of a restaurant downtown waiting for a table and in walks John and some folks on his staff and John's wife, Nora. And understand that at this point, John Swafford is at the peak of his influence in college athletics. Clemson is the reigning football national champion and the ACC has won two of the last three titles. And if you go back to Florida State, they, they had won three of the last six and UVA was poised to become the third ACC team to win the National Basketball Championship within a five-year span, joining Duke in North Carolina. The network was about to launch. And John saw my wife and me and our, and our little girl, and he walked over. And before I could even finish the introductions, he's crouched down. And my daughter, who's a hugger, I mean, he started <laughs> to talk to her. 
And she threw her arms around him. And Mike, he hugged her like she was one of his own. And I'll never forget it. And I've, I've told him that often, how much I appreciated it, because I think how you treat children, especially those who aren't your own, reveals a lot about yourself. And I, John Swafford, no matter how successful he or his conference was, never lost that personal touch. That's great, great stuff. And I'm curious, since you do know him, the timing of this, mm-hmm. was there any part of John Swafford that didn't want to hang it up in the middle of this disjointed pandemic? Was there any part of him maybe that thought, all right, let's do it one more, one more go around so we can have a more traditional send off? Or was there a part of him that said, man, I cannot wait to get out of Dodge. Man, I should have done this a year earlier. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, did Jim Delaney hit the retirement jackpot or not? Yeah, the, the former Big Ten commissioner who got out literally two months before all hell broke loose. But I think it, it cut both ways with John. There is a part of him that would have liked a more traditional final year. But there was also a part of him that, like all of us, is exhausted by this. And just, you know, yesterday, case in point, you know, welcome to the seat, Jim Phillips. But you've got a, a head coach at Boston College saying, my administration's forcing me to play with four scholarship players. Then by 1030 at night, you know, that debate is cut short because all of us, all of a sudden Florida State has to go on pause and postpone three consecutive games, including at Virginia Tech. Darn the luck. We were both looking forward to that next week. So I, I, I think it's, it, it's both. He's, he's disappointed to be leaving, but yet at the same time, it's like, Man, it's it's time for someone else to handle this. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they do things the way American presidents have always done it, but if John Swafford leaves a note, he did for Jim. I would love to know a little more about that. <laughs> I think it probably ended with "Good luck and Godspeed." <laughs> the only way it could. Now we uh, we have some other news we want to get to real quick. Uh, J.C. Price was a all-American defensive lineman for Virginia Tech. I got to know Coach Price when he was an assistant at James Madison, helped them win that 2004 national title. He'd been at Marshall with Doc Holliday. Marshall made a change. That staff kind of out on their rears. J.C. Price, a free agent. Virginia Tech is bringing him back to the alma mater uh, to be the co-defensive line coach. David, that that just seems like a home run hire. Yes, it, it does. And he's he's replacing another former Hokie and Daryl Tapp, of course, who left to be to go join the San Francisco 49ers staff. And I, w- I was interested, Mike, as I, as I know you were, that not only was J.C. Price, because of his coaching chops, made an assistant defensive line coach to Bill Tierlink, but he was made the defensive recruiting coordinator. And Justin Fuente is is clearly shaping his staff 
with an eye you know t- toward really delegating re- recruiting duties and Adam Lechtenberg is is going to be in charge of recruiting on on the offensive side so I was really struck by those staff designations today but I you know you know JC from his time at James Madison as a coach you know I'm old enough to have covered <laughs> that that 95 squad that won the Big East and beat Texas in, in the Sugar Bowl, you know, just one of the great seasons in, in Virginia Tech history. Uh, and at the time, you know, the, the, the Hokies' first major bowl victory. So, you know, he, he, he could ball now. Yeah, and, and I think on the recruiting front, he's just a very – uh, down to earth and likable guy. He's just the kind of guy I think kids from any background are going to connect with. Um, media, if we get the chance, you know, obviously it's tech and we never know, but um, if we get the chance to be around him, I mean, he's just just one of my favorite people that, that I've had the chance to cover. And I think a real up and comer in the coaching world. I think that he was a guy who was headed for more like a defensive coordinator level type job. But then, like I said, you know, you never know in this profession and the whole staff at Marshall is out and, and the timing couldn't work out better uh, for J.C. Price to return to his alma mater. Uh, we do end today on, on a really somber note. Uh, our yeah. friend John Packett, a uh, longtime writer for the Richmond Times Dispatch, covered a lot of tennis for us as well as many, many other things. A Redskins Super Bowl in there. John passed away last night. He was 77, uh, a victim of COVID. And, and David, just uh, when, it, when it puts a human face and someone that we all knew and, and many of us were really close to, um, it just stings all that much more, I think. Mike, he was such a good guy and fun to be around in the press room. You know, he, I remember him at CA tournaments at, at the Richmond Coliseum and, and VCU games at, at, at the Coliseum. And I remember a, a Whiteman Cup tennis match at, at William and Mary Hall. John was at, he loved tennis now. And, and what did you tell me? He covered like 25, I think 25 us opens, US which opens. I'm How about incredibly that? envious of. Yeah. Right. Um, aren't, aren't we both? And you know, John was a versatile writer and just a, a joy to be around. I know Dean, our, our producer knew him even better than, than certainly than either of us did. And, John O'Connor did, and our, our former colleague Paul Woody did. I know they're all grieving along with John's family. Yeah, and our, our sympathies certainly to Shirley, his wife, and um, just a sad day for, for everybody and uh, worth remembering because John Packett was a great guy to work with and a great sports writer for a long time for the Richmond Times Dispatch. Well, thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite shows. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week.